welcome. I'm Jean Parker, and you're listening to Discovering How, a podcast of the Ethical Business Building the Future organization. We're a global learning community using our workplaces to build a better future. Today, we're discovering more about how education prepares society's change agents of the future and how educational institutions can exemplify governance with high ethical principles. We'll hear about how a school in post-war Bosnia transformed itself from conflict to collaboration. But first, Vivek Nair is the director of the School of the Nations in Macau, China. Students fulfill the dual purpose of academic accomplishment and service to their communities. And this, he says, contributes greatly to their preparation as ethical leaders and collaborators. We don't really identify academics as being different from um, from service. We see it as really uh, the goal of, of building your capacity, whether it's academically or artistically or in, in whatever way, the, the ultimate purpose of that is to serve humanity. Really, everything that we do, service in, uh, is embedded into it. You know, a lot of schools that are internationally oriented, what they mean by that is really, uh, especially if they're an English medium school, is that their teacher population comes from the major English-speaking countries, uh, like the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, um, Australia, or New Zealand, um, you know, to mention most of uh, where most of those teachers come from. Our goal is very much to, to represent the world. So we have teachers from Brazil, from Kazakhstan, from Nigeria, from India. I mean, I'm Indian. (laughs) Places where you normally wouldn't find teachers in the international school um, arena. And to us, we see that as really bringing to our students the reality of what the world is. What are the challenges in bringing together all of these diverse cultures in an educational environment. While all of this sounds wonderful, yes, these diverse cultures sound wonderful, it comes with a huge challenge, and that is each one of these people come with a very different conceptual framework of what education means. And that conceptual framework is really built on what they've grown up with or what they've experienced in their own home cultures. So the huge challenge for us um, as a school is how do we bring all of these diverse, this diversity um, and yet not have it be the cause of great confusion and in fact be, be a cause of great strength. Education in most cultures, in fact in all cultures, is, is highly fragmented into languages and maths and science. And, but in that process of fragmentation, we have lost what it means in a complete sense. So really, we don't use mathematics in isolation of language. We don't use uh, science in isolation of the arts. Um, spirituality, similarly, um, which has become almost a, a bad word in, in educational circles, is embraced and is at the core of everything that we do. And so to be able to articulate that and then direct it, we, we've created, for example, our own learner profile. And, we, uh, and where we've defined who a learner is at the School of the Nations. And we've got nine elements in our learner profile. Things like uh, every student that walks into our school is a seeker of truth. Every student that walks into our school must become a knower of self. And by that, we mean really deeply understanding who they are and who they are as a human being. A participator in group discussions uh, and consultation is a student at the School of the Nations, a well-wisher of mankind. Now, you operate in uh, a place where there are a lot of casinos and 
activities going on, mm-hmm. which may or may not be consistent with the values of <laughs> School of the Nations. <laughs> I, can, I, can very, I can very confidently say may not be. <laughs> really, education within the school for the eight hours or seven hours that a student is here is, is not going to be enough. There is the rest of the day when the out, outer world has significant influence. And certainly more than the outer world, what happens at home has a great significance. Now that I don't think is unique to Macau. I think that's a worldwide phenomenon because the internet has really made the world uh, accessible to every child if they want it to be. And if parents are disengaged from um, from their own children, that, that only compounds uh, the issue. So the school has a strong program for working with families and training parents and an outreach to homes. We have numbers of teachers who actually go on home visits and spend time with the families at their home. So we go to homes, we talk about what the, the, the vision of the school is, what the philosophy of the school is, what the approach of the school is, and what we hope is that families will replicate that in their own home environments. Because we say to them that, you know, any, any transformation that we can do at the school will be undone if the message that they get at home is the opposite. I also have an interesting story about this. Um, One of the head honchos uh, at one of these casinos, actually, he's not a head honcho at the casino. He's the head of a mafia organization, um, you know, the loan sharks uh, in Macau. Uh, And his son used to, the son has graduated now, but um, used to come with bodyguards who carried guns. to drop him off at school, um, and they came to pick him up at the end. How of the did day. you handle that? Uh, well, we asked the bodyguards to stay outside the school. <laughs> <laughs> but the parents were very insistent, and so when they went on field trips, uh, a car would follow the bus, um, you know, with these bodyguards in there, just in case this child was kidnapped. So he comes from that sort of a family. So I got a request from the father to meet with, uh, wanting to meet with me. And the father came with his own entourage of guns and um, (laughs) um, uh, bodyguards to meet me. And I was a bit nervous, actually, um, inviting him into my office. But um, uh, this man, when he came in, you know, and I wasn't sure what this meeting was about because he hadn't been very specific. And he said to me, Mr. Nair, I have chosen your school uh, for my son out of all the choices that I have for one reason only. And he said, you know, my life has been ruined. I cannot change my life. But I don't want my life for my son. I want my son to have the life that you describe. I want him to see the world the way you see it. I don't want him to have what I have. Um, And he said, I will give every advantage that I can to make sure that my child lives in that world and not mine. How does all of this education produce the leaders of the future that we would like to see facilitating governance of the future? Sure. You know, I'll draw your attention back to that learner profile that we have. Many schools will talk about um, qualities that, that people have, but to us, governance, and not just governance, leadership, not even just leadership, humanity 
it's more than just about having specific qualities. It's about a confluence of understandings, of um, abilities and skills, of qualities, of attitudes that make it an active process. So I think the influence for governance is, is, is tremendous. I mean, if consultation became the focus, the seeking of truth um, around a particular problem and a situation necessitates various perspectives being presented to shed light on what the actual situation really is. You know, when those sorts of things become, become the mode of, of leadership, of governance, of, of management, then I think you already have transformation. And now... Ma'elise Deruda is the founder and director of the Bloom Educational Institutions, a group of schools in Sarajevo, Bosnia. Although she had substantial corporate experience in human resource management, she found herself directing an organization full of conflict and mistrust caused by the recent years of brutal war in the region. Her experience has lessons for anyone involved with organizational operations and governance in any stage of development. The school went from one which was constantly in turmoil to one which is now rated first in the district for its students' academic achievements and is beginning to influence change in the wider community. Here is how it all happened. I set up the school that was affordable to locals and that would have a large intake of, uh, of local people. So you really had an agenda from the beginning of working in the reconstructive process. Yes, and I thought that in this context, it would be actually, uh, uh, it would trigger, I mean, it would be not easier, but it would be a, a sort of, people would be more receptive because of what they'd been through uh, to change and to rethinking their educational system. So, and, I, and the concept of the school was not to create another private school for privileged people. It was, it was really to create a, um, an experimental school or a model that after that could be reproduced in the public school system. What happened is that being completely naive about the context in which I was in, having had no experience of it, um, I, I sort of, the, the, the families and the, 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 the teachers and the, the whole team and the, the people who joined the community of the school had all been uh, severely traumatized. And so I inherited a group of children who were very, very aggressive. So we're talking about two, three, four-year-olds who were very aggressive and, and, uh, and adults who had very extreme re re uh, reactions and were very distrustful of any form of... Uh, any form of organization, any form of willingness to get together. People just didn't trust each other, be it the parents, be it the staff. So for a couple of years, I, and I was completely unprepared to manage it. I had a history before me of working with people because I was in HR. I did a lot of uh, headhunting and I managed smaller teams of people. But the, the level of, of complexity of the relations uh, that I found in, 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 in Sarajevo in my small environment were way beyond anything I had ever encountered. Can you give me an example of how that manifested? Because people didn't trust each other, it was very, very difficult just to um, initiate any form of action. I'll, a very simple example, we would, we would want to organize an event to uh, garden with the families and plant things and everything. And the parents would uh, understand that 
we were trying to steal money from them because uh, they would have to come with a plant and contribute somehow. So for them, it was it was fishy, and we were, you know, and then the staff would would be un unwilling to come because it was extra hours of their work. And I mean, it was, it, but it was everything was a lot of mistrust and um, and feeling of being abused all the time. That was actually unrelated with the with what was happening. It was just there was just so much trauma in people, and I just couldn't put my finger on where it was coming from. So I kept, you know, reflecting and trying to understand. Maybe you know, maybe it was my my different my cultural differences. I was triggering things in people. I, I just my inex inexperience. Maybe it was because we were doing things very very new. So I tried to rationally explore everything that could be causing sort of this this dynamic in the school until I realized that it was just trauma. People were trauma, traumatized individually and put together collectively couldn't function. And, and it got to a breaking point. Parents were being very, very difficult. So we were being sued all the time. We were oh my. Uh, be, in, inspections were being brought onto us all the time. Everything always failed, but it was always this climate of we don't trust you. We're, but then it, it started, it was happening within my team too. So very ugly things amongst people. So they actually and, uh, filed suits against you. Yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> And they sent us inspections, which were, which didn't lead to anything because nothing, you know, I'm, I have a legal background. Everything was done very, very professionally. And I just met at EBBF, I met a one, uh, a consultant who, who's a coach actually. And he has many, many tools up his sleeves, but one of them is nonviolent communication. So he came over and he did a week's workshop with my staff and some of the staff left and uh, most of them broke down. And what was very interesting is that what came out was very uh, was things that were completely unrelated to uh, to the school and to their work. They were all very very personal issues, but they came out very strongly, very violently, and it was like a big big catharsis. What were some of the issues that people brought out? Uh, a father killed in front of their eyes, and then and them having been uh, uh, abused during the war. A young girl being in a camp for the part of the war and you realize that all of them have been through something very dramatic and so because of the timing of the war a lot of them i suppose would have been through these traumas as children exactly uh, amongst my staff yes and amongst the uh, the parents probably most of them would have been in their young adult life i see now we've created this atmosphere of trust and this understanding that the school, if we want it to be a place of transformation and growth for the, for the students and their families, that we have to put ourselves as a team through that process and that we're going to do that uh, together and uh, that we will support each other through that process and it will remain between us. And that has worked absolutely beautiful. So it's like a collective, uh, collective yeah, transformation process. And it's done, done, a lot, done a lot of collective healing because the impact on the families and the children has been huge. Having staff that's more stable, more confident, that trusts, that believes in what we're doing, that share the same goal has actually reassured parents and, and has enabled even parents to open up and share things. And so it's created this whole dynamic in our school. And uh, the, the fact that the st staff are more coherent, trust each other, support each other, are more peaceful, uh, means that our children have the, the level of aggressivity and the stress in the children has gone down dr dramatically. Uh, so much so that, you know, parents have been commenting on it and uh, noticing it themselves. We have many more parents contributing uh, to the school. 
which they didn't do so at all before. Now we have an association of parents that organizes all our extracurricular activities and they organize all sorts of things for the schools. This was non-existent before and it was not unheard of in, in our context because it's a private school. So people think that, you know, they pay for the school and there's nothing else to contribute in, in the mentality here. Uh-huh. So now they start, they're starting to be much more involved in whatever's happening in the school. Do you have any indication that this is spreading to the larger community? My staff actually now are being asked more and more to come and talk uh, on forums, on parenthood, on TV, on radios, about what they do, how how their work, uh, in which way their work is different from traditional schools. So um, they're, they're being asked, we're being observed. Um, people from the public institutions are coming to observe our work bit by bit, very, very discreetly, but they're starting. So yes, our impact is, is, uh, is measurable, but it's going to take time. So really the responsibility has shifted from you as yes. the founder to a lot of other people. It must be quite it, a relief. It is a total relief. <laughs> it's a total relief. It's a total relief because as you know, we need the competences of a whole team to move forward. Uh, on my own, I was incapable of moving forward, and so yes, now and now people are people are more empowered, and I'm I'm innate, I'm a, I'm able to do much much more uh, in terms of what we're doing academically and uh, in terms of the development of the children. We've reached new heights because people are much more ready to explore themselves and their talents. So now, it's much more exciting the work we do. Thank you for joining us. We hope today's program has inspired you, our listeners, with ideas for discovering how we can all build a prosperous, just, and sustainable civilization. This has been Ethical Business Building the Future, Discovering How. Get more from this podcast by sharing your comments, an article, or a link to something that's important to you. You can contact us on our website, www.ebbf.org. I'm Jean Parker for EBBF, and I thank you for listening.